We're going to uh, read together now from Luke, chapter 8, reading from verses 22 through 25. And let's, uh, let's stand together and we'll say these words together one day, beginning with... Um, <coughs> One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, this passage reminds me of an old gospel song, very beautiful song. And uh, I enjoyed my time at, uh, in the choir at Vancouver Bible College many years ago now. And the song is The Christ of Every Crisis. Remember that song, hearing it? I noticed when I Googled that George Beverly Shea sang it and the Blackwood Brothers sang it. But uh, I think this is, uh, this is the chorus part. He is the Christ of every crisis. He is just the same today. He will solve your every problem if you'll only let him have his way. Uh, in the context, that's great. If you were to analyze that one line, it's not totally accurate. Like I say, in the overall context, it's great. He will solve your every problem i would i would just say he will enable you to handle every problem and i'm sure that's the intent of the song he will enable you to handle every problem if you'll only let him have his way great barclay tells us that the sea of galilee is famous for its sudden squalls and uh, he reports on what one traveler said that the the sun had scarcely set when the wind began to rush down towards the lake and it continued all night long and with increasing violence so that when we reached the shore next morning, the face of the lake was like a huge boiling cauldron. I think that gives us a bit of an idea of the kind of storm squall the disciples in Jesus faced as they were attempting to sail across the lake this particular evening as we read about it in uh, Luke chapter 8. Uh, if you want to look it up later it's also in Matthew 4 or Mark chapter 4 and in Matthew 8. But clearly <laughs> they were in a crisis and, uh, you know, three, three, three facts here. They were in crisis, and fact two, Jesus was with them, but fact three, he was asleep. 
That's kind of intriguing when you think about it. But as we look at their experience here, we're going to consider it under three frames. The first frame being the reality of crisis. And secondly, their response in this crisis. And then finally, we will note that the crisis shifted, a new crisis for them. But beginning with the reality of the crisis, there was no question that uh, they were in a serious uh, situation. And uh, Matthew is perhaps a little more descript where he says in Matthew 8:23, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over. Think of that. The waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Christ is very real here in our own text in, uh, in Luke 8, in verse 23. It says that they were in great danger. Great danger. As humans, we are really vulnerable to the elements. And uh, we see that so much now in national news around the world. Terrible things that happen. Earthquakes, floods, fires. But closer to home, almost, I, I think probably every year, we have drownings. And uh, this winter we've had at least one person freezing to death right within our own city, not that far from where we live. And, uh, you know, and then not just from the elements, but uh, certainly <laughs> they're pretty, pretty hard to uh, not, pretty hard to ignore. They're big. We lived in uh, Winnipeg during the 97 flood that was in southern Manitoba. And uh, Winnipeg was spared any serious flooding, but uh, that was, I think, largely because many years ago, um, under Duff Roblin, they constructed a floodway so that the waters wouldn't come into the city but would be diverted around. But uh, south of the city, uh, very much a flood problem. And I remember this uh, one day that I went with one of my parishioners who had a brother living in, in a house not that far out of the city. And my goodness, you know, the water had come up to, oh, I think close to the floor level uh, of, of the house. And I gained a new appreciation for how vulnerable we are against the natural elements when they get out of hand. And I thought of that uh, song that Johnny Cash uh, sang and not just entertainment but how meaningful you know I realized when I saw that how meaningful that those lyrics would be um, how high's the water mama uh, two feet high and rising <laughs> and then as you continue in the song the next thing is three feet high and rising and you can see that those people in that situation they would be very conscious of is it going up slightly is it going up quickly or is it subsiding the elements of course it's not just the elements we experience all kinds of crisis and crises uh, illnesses car accidents tragedies of any kind uh, serious conflict in our families not easy to deal with and a job loss a very real crisis and especially if you're the main uh, 
source of income for the family. Well, the disciples here were in crisis. As it says, they were in great danger. Do you suppose that uh, they started to argue and frustrated with each other and started to play the blame game, you know? Uh, we shouldn't have been here tonight. Whose dumb idea was this anyway? Peter? <laughs> you know? But whose idea was it anyway? Well, check the text. Verse 22. It says that Jesus said, Jesus. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat. They were literally following Jesus' instructions. They were right smack in the middle of the Lord's will, and being there, they encountered a severe crisis. There's no suggestion that if we follow the Lord faithfully, we'll be, we will be exempt from misfortune. That if I am in God's will, then things are always going to go smoothly. Or when, I don't, when things don't go smoothly, I must somehow have missed God's will. That would be a horrible tyranny to be under if you really believe that. Because you're in a crisis, then you're going to add weight to the crisis, thinking somehow I'm out of God's will, somehow he's not pleased with me. But God's word does not teach that his people will never experience any of these things, accidents or debilitating diseases or job losses or cancer or even early death. I'm sure you as I know people who have been among the more godly people that you've known, and yet they, they died young, relatively. And there's no basis for the idea to assume that if I am filled with the Spirit, if I'm spiritual, I will, I will always have good emotional health. I've heard that kind of thinking, you know, that somehow if I'm really walking in the Spirit, I will never experience depression. I think we know better now from our understanding of science and chemistry and so on. Now, it's true, of course, that a self-disciplined, healthy, and wholesome way of life, of course, that does reduce many of life's problems because we do reap what we sow, of course. But immunity from crises is simply not there. Jesus had to enter into life as it is, on this planet with all of its sufferings. And that is what it meant to be human. He had to be part of life as it is in all of its fallenness and all of its tragedy. He had to see it through human eyes, to feel it through human emotions, and to experience physical discomforts through a human physical body. His lot was to live in this tragic fallen world as as it is, experience much of its suffering personally. And that's the wonder and the glory of the Incarnation. Hebrews 2.14 says that since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. That, you know, reading it from the perspective of knowing who he is, who he was and who he is, that becomes an absolutely amazing truth 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And so it is with us. We, like him, participate in life as it is. Think how our witness, think of of how our influence, which is broader than just witness, think how our influence would be muted if we were immune from life's harshness, if it never happened to us. We would have little ability to understand the pain of others, little ability to sympathize, little ability to suffer with them, to understand. But we're part of it. Crisis, the reality. Well, let's look at the way they responded. And that includes the way Jesus responded back and forth here. But let's look at the response that we see here. And A, well, they turned to Jesus. But, you know, what else could they do? But they did. And that's, that's a lesson in itself. Verse 24, Master, Master, we're going to drown. They're desperate. And maybe they're a little annoyed. We are in danger of perishing and, and you're sleeping? And yet, we see something of his response there. By, by being asleep, he's a, it's a wonderful example of trust. Trusting these men to navigate. Hey, you guys got it under control. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax. And trusting, of course, ultimately the Father that his purpose for him would be fulfilled. And so he's able to sleep, even in the middle of the storm. But they are in panic, and they challenge his lack of concern. And Mark's account especially brings that out. 428 Mark, he says, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? To them it seemed that he was indifferent. And isn't that exactly the way it seems in our relationship to the Lord in crisis? Does he really care? It's as if he isn't there. It's as if he is asleep. And as you read the Psalms, and keep that in mind as you read it, that these people are they are humans, and they're expressing their concern. How long, Lord? Seems like he's asleep. Don't you care? But they do turn to him. And there wasn't much else they could do. And that's for us, too. Crisis. Difficulty of any kind. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. And we sing about that in some of our hymns. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, the, oh, the, uh, you know, what we forfeit all because we don't take it to him in prayer. Here's a very descriptive one. It's called, I must tell Jesus. I must tell all, I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. What, a, what an encouragement. What a, what, a, what a boost for many of us as you come to worship on a Sunday morning and you're going through a lot of difficult things, almost like a crisis. And there, then you're reminded of this kind of thing. They took it to him. That's my little A. My little B is this. 
It's interesting to note that Jesus undertook for them in spite of, rather than because of their faith. They panic, and Jesus chides them for not really holding on to their faith, and yet he meets their need. Many times in the New Testament, Jesus indicates that the person's good faith was the important factor, and he provided a miracle an example of that is in this same chapter in verse 48 where the uh, hemorrhaging woman says to herself, you know, if I, even touch the, if I even touch the edge of his garment, he could heal me, which is what he did. But this is what he said to her in verse 48, daughter, your faith, <coughs> your faith has healed you. But then there were other situations where the faith of those helped had nothing to do with it. The raising of Lazarus clear example and so here <laughs> what happened to your faith where's your faith he says obviously it was lacking but you know we take ourselves too seriously we set ourselves up as too high if we think that if only we had faith then we could have whatever we wanted or anything we we, we dream about is is going to take place it's almost like taking the Lord out of the equation we set ourselves up too high but in this instance, Jesus meets them where they are at. They're panicky rather than trusting. But he meets them in spite of their limited faith. But we mustn't miss noticing that he did chide them. He did chide them. Verse 25, after the, everything is calm, he says to them, where? Where is your faith? Obviously, he didn't approve of their fear. It's like he is saying that even in this dangerous situation, you should have maintained faith. And I say that's a, that's a tough challenge for us. You know, I'd rather ignore that. But, you know, it's there. Can't argue with it. It's a challenge. And this is the Lord speaking, and I believe he's also speaking into the context of our difficulty. Whatever your situation, whatever your challenge, your difficulty, your crisis right now, where's your faith? God's word instructs many times not to lose faith, but to hang in there regardless of the situation. He is there. He's in the boat. He is the Christ of every crisis having a faith that trusts him. But here's an encouragement, even when it's weak, okay? He chided them, but he did meet them where they were. He received their cry, though their faith was weak. One that comes to probably the minds of many of us is the incidents where this father of the boy who was a demoniac and it was terrible what this boy was going through and uh, Jesus comes on the scene and uh, Jesus asks him about him and how long has he had this, you know, from childhood. And, and uh, sometimes it throws him in the fire and sometimes it throws him in, in, in the water. And then he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus said to him, if you can, all things. If you can, you know, he's challenging. All things are possible for the one who believes. And then immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help 
my unbelief. Isn't that familiar? Isn't that where you and I are many times? I believe, but oh Lord, I know that my belief is so far from 100%. And it's so encouraging that, hey, it's okay, he takes us that way too. That was in Mark 9:24. But in every situation, in every crisis, he is with us. Whatever the storm, he will be with you. If you belong to him, he's in the boat. In your sorrow, when you have lost a loved one, in tragedy, when your marriage fails, when your children disappoint, when your career fails, or you're no longer needed on the job. And here's an important one. Even when your world is falling apart because of your bad choices, how do you deal with that? Thought of that when, when I hear about criminals being maybe sentenced to life imprisonment and if I was a and I was if I was a prison chaplain see there has to be something in the gospel for these people too oh I know the gospel is about forgiveness but they may have 40 years left to live in prison there has to be more than the grace to be forgiven there has to be hope for them somehow even when you are where you're at because of bad choices or misconduct. When your world is falling apart, he cares. He understands your pain. He's in the boat. And even when the doctor uses that dreaded word, that C word that we don't want to hear, and even when you are in the valley of the shadow of death. And that'll be how many of us pass away. Some of us may be, may be fortunate not to even know, it'll, you know. But many of us will know that we're terminal and it's just a matter of days, even when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Back in uh, May of 98, uh, Marty and I took a trip out to uh, California because our son, I think it was because of the NAFTA agreement, our son was able to work there for a year, exactly a year, maybe a year less a day sort of thing. And uh, so we decided, why don't we drive out there? And he had bought himself a car while he lived there, but then he would just sell his car and we would take him home. So on the weekend, we decided we wanted to attend the Crystal Cathedral in L.A. And on that particular Sunday... Robert Schuller spoke on the 23rd Psalm and uh, he gave an illustration about his friend John Wimber who was uh, towards the end of his life a friend and uh, he was the pastor of the church that one of Schuller's uh, daughters attended and uh, on one particular Sunday not long before Wimber died Schuller, in a conversation with his daughter asked him oh so John was preaching today you know he knew it was coming to an end so what, what did he say? What did he speak on? And uh, he said, he spoke on Psalm 23. What did he say? He said that the view looks pretty good from the valley. There's faith. Our Lord is in the boat. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. The view looks pretty good from the valley. Not faith that I shouldn't be in the valley, but a faith that when I do go through it, I need fear no evil. Why? Because you know 
thou art with me. He is with you. He's in the boat. Crisis. The reality. The response. But now we new, move to a new crisis. For there is a shift in their crisis. The last part of 25. The first part, where is your faith? And this is after the fact. And then this part, it says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. And they obey him. Somehow their crisis now moves to a higher level because it's about something ultimate rather than something temporal. And it centers on the identity of this one who commanded the winds and the waves. Who is this? And uh, Mark emphasizes this even more than Luke in his wording in 441 says that they were terrified okay <laughs> now it's not about the how high is the water mama but it's about something else it says they were terrified and they asked each other who is this even the wind and the waves obey them who is this who can command even the weather I wonder perhaps they were familiar with Psalm 107 Verse 28, it says, Then they, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought, out, brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Even in the Psalms, recognize that it's, you know, Anyone who can command the weather, it has to, it has to be God. It's a, you know, it's, it's a prerogative of God only. Who is this? And that prompted a different kind of fear. The fear and the amazement with which the disciples respond is really what you would expect when you are encountering God. And it's the way it should be. And God here being encountered... <laughs> in something that Jesus did. For to still the storm is something that only God can do. And so it pressed the question of his identity. And it seems that the disciples understood in different, different times, different ways, and maybe their understanding was growing, but essentially, they, you know, they're human like us, and so uh, this, they couldn't grasp that just like that. But it presses the question of his identity, and it's really the question of the Bible. For the Old Testament scriptures tell of him. He is the central figure in the New Testament. And you'll find that the way the apostles interpret the implications of the Old Testament scriptures has to do with their understanding of Jesus being the prime uh, element or the prime person in the scriptures. But it's a question that divides religions because Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life and that no man comes to the Father but by me. It is the question that a skeptic should ask. Who is this one? 
And it may have been C.S. Lewis who uh, came up with these, uh, these options. We only have some options about Jesus. Only he was a, a lunatic. Either he was a lunatic or he was a legend. Or, um, or he was a madman. Well, that's lunatic. But, or a liar, okay? Liar, legend, lunatic. Or he was the eternal Son of God. And he is the Lord of creation. <coughs> the Lord of the winds and the waves. And so he's qualified to take us through the storm. And the call of the New Testament is to place our faith squarely on this Jesus Christ and on his claims. It says he commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. And then this chapter, there's a lot about uh, obedience. It's just a few verses before where Jesus is saying that, you know, take care. Consider carefully how you listen. The elements are under his authority. We're to be under his authority too. Take care how you listen to his word. And then immediately before where uh, his mother and brothers came to see him and they uh, they weren't able to get near to him. And then, and then uh, when he is told, well, your, your, your folks are here, your family's here, and he says, you know, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And so it's about obedience. Even as the waves obeyed, the elements obeyed, we are to obey. We are to trust and obey. He's able to handle the boat, even if he's not at <laughs> the helm, but through his word. There's a story told about a pastor who had been on a long flight between church conferences. And the first warning of the approaching problems came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, fasten your seatbelt. This was after takeoff. This wasn't before takeoff. And uh, then after a while, a calm voice said, we shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we are expecting a little turbulence. Please be sure that your seatbelt is fastened. Later, the voice on the intercom said, we are so sorry that we're unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder could be heard even above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening skies. And within moments, the great plain was like a cork tossed around on a celestial ocean. The pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. And he said, as I looked around the plain, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying, and then I suddenly saw a little girl. Apparently, the storm meant nothing to her. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat. She was reading a book, and everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, and then she would read again, and then she would straighten her legs. But worry and fear were not part were not in her world. When all the adults were scared half to death, that marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. And he could hardly believe his eyes when the plane finally reached its destination 
and all the passengers were hurrying to disembark. He lingered to speak to the girl. He asked why she had not been afraid. And she replied, because my daddy's the pilot. <laughs> and he's taking me home. <laughs> That's the key. I know he's qualified. I know he can handle it. And you know, that's part of what goes into our confidence where we're hurting and we're in crisis. He is the pilot and he's competent. And so it's going to be okay. He's in the boat with us.